1: Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Amen. We are so glad that you can join us today. We're blessed to come to you today using our new studio setup. Glory to God. I think we got all the bugs worked out of it. And we are blessed and empowered to empower you to impact this world with the gospel. Amen. That's our job, is to empower you. Hallelujah. Well, before we get started, let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you this day asking you to bless this Bible study. Lord, we pray you give us wisdom and inspiration by your Holy Spirit into the deeper things that you see. We pray Second Chronicles 7.14 over this nation. And we put our faith in agreement with each other. Lord, that you would forgive the sins of this nation. Hear our prayers. Turn again and heal our land. Give us, Lord, this day, the blessings you have laid up for us in your word. And to you, Father, we give all the honor, all the glory, all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Join me in our confession of faith. We do this each and every week. As I said before, this is how we lay the foundation for what we are going to study. Amen. Because the foundation... If you have a weak foundation, then your study is weak. But if you have a strong foundation, glory to God, you can build and build and build, and what you're going to build will stand. And that's what we're praying about. Join me by repeating these words after me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. And sits now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty from where he shall return soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn To Romans chapter 1 we're gonna study today it's probably the beginning of uh, at least a two-part series it could go on more depending on how the Lord leads but we're gonna start today a study called is God ready to abandon the United States of America is God ready to abandon America you know one of the most tragic scenes in the Bible And yet one of the most familiar to us is the scene of the strongest man who ever lived. A man by the name of Samson. Finding out that he had no strength left. You know, we're not going to turn over there, but Judges chapter 16 talks about this. It says, when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that's in his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees, called for a man, and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. And then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him, the scripture says. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. And here is the telling line written by God by the Holy Spirit. It says, But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze chains, and he became a grinder in the prison. Isn't that sad? He had no idea that the Lord, that the anointing had departed from him. Can there be anything worse than being abandoned by God? In Judges chapter 10, a little bit earlier in the book, God said, You have forsaken me. You have served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry to the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of their distress. This was basically God telling Israel, I'm done with you. And they were abandoned by God. Proverbs chapter 1 records a similar sentiment. It says, Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hands, but no one paid attention. You neglected all of my counsel And you did not want any of my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will diligently seek me, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge. They did not choose to fear the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all of my reproof. So they will eat of the fruit of their own way and be satisfied with their own devices. Again, that represents being abandoned by God. Turn over to the inevitable consequences of sinful choices. Another haunting line is found tucked away in a little prophecy in the book of Hosea in chapter 4, verse 17. And it refers to Israel by the name of Ephraim here. And it says, Ephraim is joined to idols, God says. And then the next line, leave him alone. That sounds out of character for God, doesn't it? Ephraim's joined to idols, bring him back, might be a better way that we would think about God but because of sinful choices God says let him alone abandoned by God you know I hear faith preachers especially the popular ones boldly proclaim publicly that God will never forget the United States we are a nation that was formed by people who loved God and God says he'll never forsake us because of that. People and nations, even the covenant nation of Israel can come to a point where they are abandoned by God. The funny thing is that Jesus even said this in Matthew chapter 15 when he confronted the Pharisees and then described them to his disciples and he called them, They are blind leaders of the blind. Leave them alone. You see, when God lets you go, it's serious. When Jesus pronounces over you, it's time to abandon you. That's serious, folks. Now, I'm going to say something. And I want you to fasten your seatbelt and hold on to your seat. Amen. Because I'm convinced beyond any doubt that in this same sense god has either abandoned america already or at a minimum he has begun to abandon america he's given our nation plenty of opportunities to turn around to repent and come back to him but we've abandoned god therefore I believe he is righteous to abandon America. And I know that's a strong thing to say, but I'm going to show you why I believe it. So that you can see it clearly in Scripture. This isn't just Pastor Bob saying something that I think. This is based upon the Word of God. Based upon historical example. And it even describes what we are living right now. Amen. As I said, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We'll go down to verse 18. And beginning in verse 18. And basically running through to the end of the chapter. In these scriptures you have the most clear presentation. Of God abandoning a nation. You're going to see what it looks like and what happens, most of all, why He does it. This is the most graphic and the most detailed scripture I could find, and the most comprehensive biblical scriptural discussion of what it means for a people, a society, a nation to be abandoned by God. And it perfectly describes the moral chaos here in our own nation today. You have to be honest with yourself before you can be honest with God. And if you're honest with yourself as we go through this study, you have to admit that this describes the United States of America in the day and hour in which we live to a T. Amen? Let's go ahead and look at verse 18. And it starts with some very familiar words. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Now let's just stop here for a moment. We are talking about the wrath of God. Anger. Righteous anger of God. And I need to just let you know that in the scripture and in reality, I have found five different manifestations of god's wrath okay and you'll recognize them first of all there is eternal wrath that is the wrath which god unleashes on all the unbelieving dead in hell eternal wrath suffering forever eternal punishment that's eternal wrath there is also in the bible eschatological wrath. That's the unfolding of divine wrath at the end of the age described in detail, for example, in Romans chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19. The pouring out of God's wrath and the breaking of the seven seals, the blowing of the seven trumpets, the dumping of the seven bowls of wrath, for that is wrath that is yet to come. As It's eternal wrath, basically, for all of society. Yet right now, there are many, many souls experiencing eternal wrath. All of the unbelieving people who have died and left this world, they are experiencing eternal wrath right now. But folks, the good news is you do not have to experience eternal wrath. You don't have to if you accept the forgiveness that's offered by Jesus Christ. But if you refuse, if you reject his offer, eternal wrath is waiting for you. As soon as you take your last breath and your last heartbeat is over, You are guaranteed eternal wrath. It's all yours. Amen. Now we've seen eternal wrath, eschatological wrath. That's the pouring out of God's wrath in the end days. The third kind of wrath is what you could call basically calamity wrath. Amen. That's the wrath of God which produces calamities in the world. The most notable illustration of that is Noah's flood, which drowned the entire world. Only eight people were saved, Noah and his family. Massive wrath on the part of God. But what was it, and who was it against? Sinful man. And if you were to study the events leading up to the flood, combine that with what Jesus said it would look like in the end days, You can also see eerie similarities to the society that we live in today. Homosexual lifestyles becoming normal, just for one example. Amen. Fourthly, there is consequential wrath. That can be summed up in sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. That's the natural end of patterns and choices of sin. Whatever a man sows, what? He reaps. That's consequential wrath. But there's one more kind of wrath that's usually overlooked. I mean, we all understand eternal wrath and eschatological wrath and calamity wrath. We all understand that in the the calamity of the flood or God destroying biblical cities of Chorazin, Bethesda, Capernaum, etc. Throughout history, these calamities continue to happen. And they all fit in the category of God's judgment of sin. But there is one more category called the wrath of abandonment. That's a special kind of wrath. It's a form of God's wrath in which he basically just lets go of a society. And he just let it lets it catapult full speed without restraint in the direction of of its own sinful desires, devices, and choices. That's the wrath that we're going to talk about today. This is the cyclical reality of this wrath that has defined human history, every nation, and will always define it until the day Jesus returns. As Paul said, in all the generations gone by, God permitted the nations to go their own way. Amen. I don't believe that the United States is waiting anymore for God's wrath on this society. I mean, we haven't had a massive calamity such as the destruction of an entire city yet. Hurricane Katrina was just what I would call a warning Of what could happen. God once again is giving us plenty of warnings. Amen. 9-11, Katrina. The hurricane that smashed into New Jersey in 2012. Massive snowfalls we're seeing. As we're preaching this, Boston. So far this winter has had over 90 inches of snow in like three weeks. Boston, of all places. But these are nothing when compared to what God has done when he just wipes out cities. Now, we certainly don't want that to happen, and we pray that it does not happen. But it could happen. And when it does happen, God will be just in any calamity that he brings upon us. We have not entered into eschatological wrath that comes in the end times. Yet, but it's coming. Right now, we are experiencing, all of us do, consequential wrath of sin choices that this nation, the United States of America, is making. But this massive concept of the wrath of abandonment, I am convinced, is now also at work in our society. We'd like to talk about the fact that America was founded on Christian principles and God was at the center of it all and and, and all of that. Whatever it might have been in our founding, it is no longer the way it is. And I want to show you how you can know that it's already happened. Go down to verse 24. Romans 1, verse 24. (sighs) Oh. In verse 24, you see the word wherefore. It can also be translated as therefore. This means we're now going to see a description that connects this verse to what has already been said. So, In the New International Version, if you go back to verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, you can stop right there for a minute. The wrath of God is revealed. And then it goes on to talk about the wrath of God and the reasons for the wrath of God. And then in verse 24, that describes the wrath of God. And here's the description. Therefore, God gave them over, or in other words, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creation, or the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged a natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman. They burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men. Committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons, in their own bodies, the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things that are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, full of Evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slander. Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do them, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Amen. Let me break this down. There's a lot of scriptures to cover. Let me just break this down for you a little bit. Three times, God says, gave them over. Three times. Remember, the wrath of abandonment is when God gives a nation over to its sinful desires. The verb... Greek verb here is, if I can pronounce it correctly, paradidami. And it can have, it it takes on the judicial sense. Amen. It's often used in Greek literature in terms of courts of law and criminal courts. It comes down to basically handing a prisoner over for punishment. It's even used in the case of Jesus being handed over for crucifixion. Each of these uses of that that verb in this text expresses the fact that the wrath of God has acted to hand society over to sentence, to hand them over for punishment. As someone once said, and I can't remember where I heard it, the history of the world is the judgment of the world. Because God will use other nations to judge Other nations. There comes a time in a nation when God's just had enough. And he literally lets it go. And turns them over to the sentence that they have passed upon themselves. By their sinful life choices. To see it another way, they are deprived of any restraining grace. Grace, I'm sorry. Now, how do we know when this has happened? Well, let's look at the scriptures again. Note the progression. Verse 24. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to the impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Impurity here speaks of sexual sin. Because the first thing that happens in a nation when it's abandoned by God is a sexual revolution. It it happened to the Romans, it happened to the Greeks, and it's happening in the United States of America. Moral, sexual perversion, pornographic desires, they all describe the general character of the culture. You can't even count today how many millions of pornographic websites there are. When a society is abandoned by God, it operates out of its own perverse sexual passion without restraint. And you can trace this in our nation's history back to the 1960s and the sexual revolution of the flower children. Or Hugh Hefner and Playboy. It's gone like a flood ever since then. It's characterized by, as you look at verse 24, lust coming from the inside. Just as Jesus said, what comes out of the heart of a man is what defiles him. Leading to impurity, this means sexual impurity, and to the dishonoring of their bodies. The heart is wicked and the bodies demonstrate it. The body always follows what the heart desires. Lust conceives in the heart, James says, and brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. So the first thing you look for in a society when you're trying to discern whether or not God has abandoned that society is whether or not that society has gone through a sexual revolution so that illicit sex, adultery, every form of immorality is accepted as normal in that society. And folks... You have to admit it. We, as a nation, are there. Amen. That's piece of evidence number one on whether or not God has decided to abandon America. Second piece of evidence, step number two. In this same progression, look at verse 26. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. God gave them over. Not just the passions that are explicable because they're men and women, but the inexplicable, degrading passions for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And you know that a society has been abandoned by God when it celebrates lesbian sex. God's given them over. Gross affections, unnatural, unthinkable. And if you follow a sexual revolution with a homosexual revolution, and homosexuality becomes normalized in that society. Verse 27 then adds the male part. In the same way, the men abandon the natural function of the woman, burned in their desire one towards another. By the way, it is a burning that is just hard to comprehend or understand why. But interestingly enough, I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit puts women first here and then the men after. Why is that? Well, the Holy Spirit refers to to the degradation of women because the women are usually the last to be affected in the decay of morals because their hearts are so naturally inclined towards a husband and toward the responsibility of nurturing and raising children. But when the women finally lead the parade, it's an indication that God has removed his restraint. The amazing thing about all this in verse 27, the man abandoning the natural function of the women, burning in their desire one toward another, men with men, committing indecent acts, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Right into this wrath of abandonment, comes the wrath, the consequential wrath. And even though it generates venereal disease and AIDS and things like that, yet they keep doing it. And it keeps getting pushed as normal. So that's what step two looks like. And we know that it has come into this land like a flood. That's piece of evidence number two. But it's not the final step. It's not the final piece of evidence I want to go over today. The final step comes in verse 28. Look in the middle of verse 28. When you see these things happening, what does the scripture say? God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, like I said, I, I usually preach out of the King James Version of the Bible, but I have the New American Standard because it gives a little different translation for that word depraved and it kind of uh, puts it into a more modern terminology. But that word depraved literally means non-functional. In other words, it doesn't work, useless, can't think, can't reason, can't comprehend. And you look at this world and you say rampant sexual immorality, out of control, destroying people willy-nilly, even in the church, even in the leadership of the church. How many times have we seen news reports, news stories, where pastors of both small and even these large mega-churches have fallen into sexual immorality, some even into homosexual sins? Homosexuality as well as adultery evokes the same thing. Rampant, out of control, demanding to be accepted as normal, and the society is rushing to affirm that acceptance. Isn't there anybody in the system who can stand up and call this what it really is? A massive moral disaster? Can't they see it? Can't they figure out, where's the church on these issues? Oh, Brother Bob, you know, we do speak out against it. Kind of, sort of. But, you know, people don't want to hear that today. There you go. In other words, they can't speak against it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Man, by wisdom, knew not God. Human wisdom, just on its own, doesn't get you there. Then you can add that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that do not believe. And now you got a compounding blindness. And then you add the fact they are blinded by virtue of the sweeping, dominating elements of their culture. And you're not going to get anybody to stand up and take that position and have people rally around them. I'm probably going to get letters and emails about this teaching today. That's okay. You are going to have more people in leadership in this country that will come out of the closet proclaiming themselves to be homosexuals. Because if you think you've seen a lot of that so far, you haven't seen nothing yet. As it becomes more and more acceptable. Something to be desired because it shows you are so open and inclusive of of all people. It's a depraved mind in the original language. It's one that's tested and found to be useless, therefore disqualified for intended use. The reasoning faculty may have been corrupted by the influences that surround it. MT- and <laughs> Here's something that's funny. MTV, yeah, the music television station, MTV did a survey on morality. There's a switch, amen. <laughs> but they they took the Middle Ages idea of the seven deadly sins, you know, lust, greed, and all those. They surveyed their audience to see what the modern-day culture thought about them. And basically... MTV and their audience believed all those things that were called the seven deadly sins are actually virtues They're not considered the seven deadly sins anymore. No. Now they're listed as the seven major virtues that you should aspire to the predominant thinking in our society is these things Are things that we should aspire to to take on to to this is part of our daily living And no, I'm not kidding. That's what their survey said. When that happens and your entire sense of morality as a nation is that warped, then your conscience as a nation is ill-informed and basically no longer functions. Which means you now have unconscionable behavior. And then you can watch TV shows like Jerry Springer and laugh instead of falling on your face and weeping at the lost souls that go on that program and other programs like it. A depraved mind, reasoning faculty so corrupt that it must be rejected as non-functioning. And as a result of that, what happens? Verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. So as a result, they do things that are not what? Proper, fitting, sensible, and reasonable. So what do they do? They are filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, murder, deceit, malice. What's all that? That's the nightly news. It's in the local newspaper every day. Slanderers. Haters of God. And on and on it goes. Unconscionable. Conscience can only function. Conscience is like... a like a skylight into the soul. conscience is a device that reacts to your moral code. How many times have you seen a murderer and the reporter is is interviewing witnesses and says it was like he didn't even have a conscience? In other words, there is nothing that could shine light into his soul. If you're a Muslim, conscience tells you to blow up infidels because conscience is not a set of moral laws. It's not a set of moral rules. It's a mechanism. It can be... Let me... It's kind of like pain. Pain is a mechanism God gave you that responds to your physical condition. It says to you that something is wrong with your body. Pain is simply the device your body uses to tell you something's going on. And it's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing because it tells you you got a problem with this area of your body that you need to deal with. Well, that's what conscience is. It's a mechanism that God gave you that accuses you, accuses your soul and your spirit, or else excuses you, Romans chapter 2 says. But it only functions if it's morally informed, Accurately. You've heard the computer programming expression, garbage in, garbage out. You have to have the, the conscionable information continually programmed into you so that you have a conscience towards God coming out. Because if you continuously program your soul and your spirit with unconscionable things, your conscience gets hardened to what goes on around you. And if you have a culture that has developed a twisted morality, then you have consciousness that function off of that twisted morality. And then you get all the stuff that we see today, all of the inexplicable behaviors. That's why verse 32 says, although they know the ordinances of God, all they know, all they know inherently in the ordinances of God, Romans 2, what is right and what is wrong. They who practice such things are worthy of death. They know that, but they do them anyway and give hardly approval to those who practice them. Know the first thing that comes to my mind when I read that? How Bill Clinton's approval rating went up Right in the middle of the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Why? Because a culture like this approves of somebody like that. Perfect fit for our society today. Society basically says, hey, he's our kind of guy. There are some, I've seen several reports from several different sources, who claim that Brock. Obama is at best a bisexual, and some of his supposed homosexual partners have come forward and actually passed polygraph tests to back up their claims, but you never hear about this in the liberal press. They refuse to cover it, because Obama's their guy. I mean, they will lie, they'll twist the news, they'll cover up facts, anything to make sure their guy remains popular. In the late 60s and 70s, it was the journalists who refused to back down when they heard rumors that the Watergate break-in was orchestrated at the highest levels of government. They refused to back off the story. They continued to dig. And it ended up bringing down Richard Nixon, the most powerful man in America. Today, the journalists just toe the line and go along with a plan. They never contest it, never speak out against it. They never investigate anything that could upset their guy. That is another sign that God is righteous and just to condemn this country, to abandon this nation. So the scripture tells us this type of society, like we are right now, they were without reason and without conscience. This is what it means when God abandons a society. Sexual revolution, down one more step. Homosexual revolution, down one more step. You cannot ever get your way out of it because the mind, the cultural mind, is gone. It's gone. Amen. I'd put it another way as well. Amen. Maybe simply there's no sure indication of how wicked and abandoned society under God's wrath is than when that society does not tolerate any type of of speaking out against sin or sinful lifestyles this society this nation the one we live in today will not tolerate you standing up displaying and speaking out against expressing any righteous indignation against sin soon we're gonna be just like Canada how long is it gonna be Before preaching against sin from the pulpit, the government's going to come in and say, you can't do that. They do it already in Canada. The mayor of Houston, Texas, just a few months ago last year, tried to do it as well. Who, by the way, is what? A practicing lesbian. She told all the major churches in her town, in her city of Houston, to give up transcripts of your sermons. She wanted to evaluate them and see if they're preaching against homosexuality, basically against sin, in their pulpits. She was going to try and legislate what church pastors could preach in their own pulpits. Well, needless to say, that backfired on her. Pastors from all over the United States sent her office sermons where they were condemning her type of lifestyle from the pulpit. I was one of them. And dared her to come against them with some form of legal action. Amen. And she backed down. That's what happens when the church in America will take a stand, a united stand, against sin. Sin backs down. But that should not be an isolated case like it was. Because you hit sin, it backs down, and then everyone goes back to their four walls, And starts worrying about their own things again. Amen. Here Paul is unfolding for us this picture of what a society looks like when it's abandoned by God. It's not my description. I said that in the beginning when we started. This is not Brother Bob speaking his opinion. I went to the scriptures and I'm giving you scriptural evidence of the situation That the United States of America is finding itself right now. That's why you see why I said I think America is here going through the cycle right now of Romans chapter 1. Why does it happen? Well, go back to verse 18 again and find out. Why does it happen? I'm going to give you the short version. Here is why it happens. Verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And this form of abandonment against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men that makes up this society. Verse 18, who suppresses what? There it is. They suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. From the Garden of Eden, it started out as a war of truth, right? God says, you eat the fruit, you die. Satan says, nah, you won't. You will not die. there it is. Who's telling the truth? Who's telling the lie? Adam and Eve believed Satan. They thought God was lying to them. And that started the war on truth. And it's still going on today. It's always about the truth. What truth, Brother Bob? Real truth. Biblical truth. You suppress this, that's where you go. Take the word of God out of the place of its supremacy, and you suppress the truth. Deny that it's true. Deny its veracity. Deny its authenticity. Deny its inerrancy. Deny its inspiration. Deny its sufficiency. Deny its clarity. That's the latest one. Nobody really knows what the Bible means anyway. Oh, they'll say, oh, it's a wonderful book, and we believe God gave it to us, but we have no idea what it means. That's because you're not reading it, dummy. That's just a convenient excuse. Oh, I, I would read it, but it's too confusing. Or they'll say, we, meaning our society, we have evolved, and the Bible just doesn't apply to life in modern-day society. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago when Barack Obama switched from being in support of traditional marriage to being in support of homosexual marriage and homosexual unions, he he actually used the phrase, I have evolved or we have evolved. So there it is. The truth is always under assault. And this nation has succumbed to that. There are even churches that have decentralized the truth because they think the truth offends people, that it's divisive. This purpose-driven church crap is all about that. Take down the crosses. They offend people. Darken the lights. Make it more of a nightclub experience. Don't hold invitations where people have to walk the aisle. Don't preach against sin. There it is. There it is. It's always evident. Amen. If you preach against sin, they might get offended. Duh. Folks, the truth is all we got. It's all we have. God saves us through the truth. Amen. You are begotten again, Peter says, by the word of truth. You're sanctified by the word of truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Hallelujah. John seventeen seventeen. Jesus says, thy word is truth. John chapter 1 says, he is the truth. Or he is the word. Jesus is the word. Therefore, Jesus is speaking the truth. Amen. It's all we have is the truth. Now, of course, the truth is under assault by Satan. Now, of course, the critics come along and say, it's not inspired. Brother Bob, you're not being inspired here. You're just being critical. It's not true. You can't believe it. Of course, the mystics will come along and say, Oh, no, no, it's fine. But we have more revelation now than they had back then. And we have more revelation over here and over there and over there. And the cults all develop out of extra-biblical revelation. I, I, I mentioned this a little bit ago. Just a second. When I said... That some modern day faith preachers, especially these larger, more popular ones, always come out and, I mean, I, I'm saving them. I'm saving their prophecies because there's they'll say things like, like we already said, that God loves America and he'll never forsake it. You know, though the world's going to hell in a handbasket, God will deliver America. This is going to be the best days that you've ever seen because you're a believer. While the whole world goes broke, you'll prosper. And now it's time for the offering. You know, I mean, anyway, I'm saving these prophecies because I'm going to post them when I see that That their prophecies were not true. Because what happens then? What does the Bible say if someone stands up in the office of a prophet and proclaims something that doesn't happen? Then they're discredited. Amen. I'm not doing that to be spiteful. I'm doing it to be truthful. Speak the word only. Not what you think God told you that it goes outside the Bible. That's why I'm sticking to scriptures here and giving you this evidence. Evidence. Acts 10.39 says we are called to be witnesses of these things. Amen. Anyway. There'll be others that come along and say, well, the Bible's fine. It's just not sophisticated today. You need to add philosophy and other things to the Bible to fill it all out, to make it complete. There are those who will come and say, well, it lacks clarity. It lacks relevance to today. The idea that Scripture is clear, that God intended it to reveal, not to hide, is always under attack. So the truth is diminished in its place. It's denied. It's rejected. It's amazing to me how people mock Biblical truth today. It's just simply astounding to me how they do this. Oh, you can figure out a way to make it smooth and soft. Take out all the hard parts so it doesn't have to sting when they hear it. But if you give the unadulterated, pure word of God, it will generate a negative reaction in society today. I get told over and over, more than you would know, that I'm too hard on sin. You need to speak the truth in love. After all, Jesus loved everybody and told us to love everybody too. Have you ever noticed? They forget the part where he called the leaders of the day hypocrites. He loved the people who did not know the truth. They didn't know any better. They were only doing what they were told by their leaders. But he came out boldly against those who should have known but refused. Folks, all we've got is the truth. Amen. Let me expound on this just a little bit more. Let me give you four things to think about. Four reasons for wrath that has to do with suppressing the truth. Number one is revelation, not the book of Revelation. I'm talking about godly revelation. We've been given the truth. Suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. What is this? This is not even talking about the scriptures. This is talking about the fact that God has inlaid his truth into the fabric of man's being. He is not without a witness to the truth. Look at chapter 2 for just a moment. Drop down to verse 14. The Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law are a law to themselves, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness. Amen. I get asked from time to time about those who have never heard the gospel. What about them? And this verse gives the answer to that. They are still without excuse. And I don't have time to go too far into it today. Okay, but there it is. Part of being human, like all the other parts of being human, being able to think, to make relationships, to speak, To act in the ways that humans act. Those kinds of things are the familiar components of what it means to be human. But another one is the law of God written into the very fabric of man's nature so that he cannot plead ignorance. In fact, in verse 20 it says that he has enough of this law in himself. Enough of reason to be without an excuse. You cannot plead ignorance. That which may be known of God. What is knowable regarding God? What man can know? What of the, the, the light that lights every man that comes into the world? John 1 9 says, is written in the heart. It is evident in them. Amen. Two ways. One, reason. Reason. Where does reason eventually take you? Reason eventually takes you to an ultimate cause. Reason is simply a cause and effect device. Reason is simply thinking our way through patterns of cause and effect. This leads to this. This leads to that. And that leads to this. That's how reason works. And if you follow it back far enough, you eventually get to the first cause of the massive, universal, effect of creation, which is God. So reason is a device given by God to every human being that will lead them directly back to Him. Amen. It leads him back to Him. Any thinking... Rational person knows that. You cannot have an effect without a cause, right? I mean, how simple do I have to make it? Uh, You ask me where a wristwatch comes from. Okay, If I tell you, well, there was a bunch of tin floating out there in the air, and I pulled it out, and as soon as I pulled it out, it started to tick, and, and this is how it came together. Everyone tell me I'm nuts. It's ridiculous, brother Bob. What are you talking about? A tornado went through this junkyard. And when a tornado came out the other end, it had assembled a 747 and it was already flying and taken to the air and even had people inside it. That's impossible, bro. What? Don't be dumb there. You know But that's what people are using to explain the universe today. It's an absurdity. Nobody times nothing equals everything? Really? That is completely irrational. Let me give you something else to think about. I'm going to try and pronounce this man's name correctly. But there was a scientist by the name of Van Neumann. Van Neumann invented, well, he didn't invent it, but he conceived of an invention called the ultimate machine. And it's called Van Neumann's machine. All engineers and scientists know about it. The Van Neumann machine, he said, is this ultimate machine. It is a self-perpetuating machine. It has the capacity within itself to sustain itself. Wow, okay. Secondly, it is a self-repairing machine. Anything that ever goes wrong with it, it can fix. It has within itself the ability to fix itself. It has within itself the ability to generate whatever new part it needs to reassemble itself so that it continues to function. Thirdly, it can reproduce itself. It multiplies all by itself. This would be similar to having a car that generated its own fuel, fixed itself, and when you come out in the morning, there are three little cars sitting next to it. Okay. That's the concept of the Van Neumann machine. The complexity of this machine is staggering. So staggering that it can never be built. It is just too complex. It becomes exponential almost. Almost to infinity to put something like this together. In other words, it can't be done. And yet, that is exactly what every single organic cell in existence in the biological world does on a daily basis. Amen. It's a factory of perfect, self-generating, self-repairing, self-reproducing machinery. Glory to God. That's the miracle of the human body. Amen. You know, out of all the inventions of man, they have never been able to invent Or make a duplicate of the human blood. The Bible says life is in the blood. But man has been unable to do. They can make artificial arms, artificial legs, artificial hearts. But they have not been able to produce artificial blood. Amen. That is the miracle of God. So don't tell me that one time there was this pile of protoplasm and it just decided to become what we are today. My reason tells me there has to be a creator. And do you know the whole world believed that until Darwin came along? Jonah out on the boat and the sailors, pagan sailors, asked him, why is all this going on? And he said, it's my God. He's doing this to punish me. It is my God. And they said, well, who's your God? Jonah did not say, well, he's the God of the Hebrews, so he's the Hebrew God. He's the God of the Hebrew people. That's who he is. No, he didn't say that. He said, well, he's the God who made the earth and the sea. There's the natural assumption right there. Going to Mars Hill, Paul's up there. They have an image or statue there for the unknown God. And Paul says, I want to tell you about this unknown God. He does not say, This is the Christian God of the New Testament. He says, this is the God who created everything. This is the God in whom we live, move, and have our being. And everybody got it. Everybody understood what he was saying. It's only today's modern world that we don't get it. You go back to God, the massive first cause of everything. So that's in the fabric of every human being. And you know you have to work hard for a couple of hundred years to try and convince an entire society that it's all nonsense. And that what makes sense is nobody times nothing equals everything. That just doesn't make sense. It works, though, in a totally immoral culture because if there's no creator, that means there's no judge. So reason is the first thing that shows you God. The second thing that shows you God is morality, which is built into the fabric of every one of us and has, again, to be cultivated to the point where you've got a society of people whose reason says they don't need God, whose sense of morality has been totally perverted. And here we are, today's culture. Even though since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature is clearly seen, clearly understood, so that we are without excuse. This society today has rejected God. That's the second point. Point one was revelation. God's revealed himself to every person. Second is rejection. Men have turned away from the truth. Verse 21, interestingly, says, even though they knew God, that is humanity, that is society in every given period of time, by God's creative design, they have knowledge of moral law and reason that leads them back to a moral lawgiver, and a judge and a creator. Even though they know that inside themselves they did not honor him as God or give thanks to God. But instead of doing what was reasonable and moral, they became empty in their speculations. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And the bottom line is, they don't like the God their reason leads them to. They don't like the God that their innate sense of what is right and what is wrong leads them to. So they abandon God. And when they do that, the light goes out. And then you come up with stuff like, Man's evolved from apes, and we all started off as some protoplasm in some swamp somewhere. That life is random, and our existence is random. Truth is relative. Therefore, people are basically free to do whatever they want. It's all good. Everyone ought to be free to do whatever he wants. For the goal of life is self-satisfaction. Live it up. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you cannot do anything. So they did not honor God As God. They were not thankful to him for what he'd given them. And again, the lights went out. They became empty in their speculation, their thinking, their patterns, ideologies. Their foolish hearts went black. Empty human ideas. So that now you can't know God. You can't know the truth. Because your intellect will not accept it anymore. But you think we're smart. By being the the, the the term used today is inclusive. Look at verse twenty. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That's the third step. You go from revelation to rejection to rationalization. Men insist they're doing just great, never did better. You hear the president of the United States come out saying, Since I've been president, the United States has never been in a better condition. Really? We're so advanced in today's society, professing to be wise. reminds me of the guy lying in bed in the nut house, pounding his hiss, saying, "I'm Napoleon, I'm Napoleon, I'm Napoleon." the guy in the next bed saying, "Well, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God." That's that kind of insanity. Or the lady who came into the psychiatrist's office with a duck on a leash and said, "You've got to help my husband. He thinks he's a duck." There is no perception of reality. In fact, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And the word fools is actually moraine, the Greek word for it, from which we get the word moron. Proud morons giving each other PhDs. And when the President of the United States says this stuff, what does that make him out to be? A moron. When leaders of Congress and justices of the Supreme Court pass laws and uphold laws that profess these things and promote these things, what does that make them out to be? Morons. They're a bunch of morons. Yeah, I said it. They are all a bunch of morons. Okay, finally it comes down to, it goes from revelation to rejection to rationalization. We've got to get ready to close. To religion. That's right, Religion. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible men. Birds, forfeited animals, crawling creatures. What religion is that? Oh, I don't know. How about uh, environmentalism? Amen. You worship what? The creation, not the creator. Wow. Do you see this going on in the United States of America today? Here in the good old USA? And it's also spread around the world, too. Yeah, I mean, this is man at his, you say, this is isn't this man at his best? He's worshiping. No, this is man at his lowest. False religion is man in the pit. He's gone down so far, he's got to create a fantasy of false religion. Religion is not a man at his highest. It is a man at his lowest. The ultimate insanity is to worship any other god than the true god, right? And so we see what happens in a society when God turns them over. And we see why he turns them over. And that was just a, basically a quick overview. So we look at our nation. Our hearts are broken. The mind is depraved. They think they're smart, but they're really a bunch of morons. Proven to you from the scriptures. They can't get to the truth. The mind's completely gone. They invent bizarre religions. They become religious in their duties. And today, they like to talk about being spiritual, don't they? Oh, I'm very religious. I am very spiritual. What in the world does that mean? As if you can vent your own worship and your own religion? Again, that's a sign of man at his lowest point. That's where we are, all the way at the bottom. Total and complete rejection of the true God and the true faith. That's where we are now. Now, the question is, how do we pray, Brother Bob? very briefly psalms 81 i want the holy spirit to give you direction here as we think about this see this doesn't sound familiar verse 11 psalms 81 verse 11 but my people did not listen to my voice or my word israel did not obey me in verse 12 so i gave them up wow if he do that with israel a covenant people what do you think he's going to do with america despite all the famous faith preachers who claim to speak for god we are not a covenant people. I'm talking as a nation here, not as individuals. Not the same. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their own heart to walk in their own devices. I let them go. I let them go to the consequences of their own choices. This is God abandoning them. Look at verse 13. Here's the heart of God that I think we need to grasp in America in this day and hour. Here's God in his own words. Oh, that my people would do what? there it is, that they would listen to me, listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Right there, folks, is the mandate to pray. What do you have to pray for? You have to pray for the word of the living God to be proclaimed across this nation. And if it's not being proclaimed in the churches, it's not going to be proclaimed anywhere else. This is not a time for weak men in weak ministries to preach weak messages. This is a time to call on God to raise up a generation of passionate, faithful, gracious, loving preachers of the word so that a nation will listen to God. That is the only answer, and it is the only hope that will save the United States. Do you think God will react? He said this in verse 14, I would quickly. You like that word? That's a good word, isn't it? I don't get the picture of God just dragging his heels here. He said, I would quickly subdue their enemies. I would turn my hand against their adversaries. It would be so great that even the people who hate me would pretend to obey me. And I love this part, verse 16. And I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. That's a metaphor for God saying, I just drown you in blessings. Amen. God only wants one thing out of this nation. Listen and believe the Bible. I really get grieved when I hear evangelical people in the media and the public eye kind of equivocating about the clarity of the gospel. Folks, it's all we got. Or about the clarity of what scripture says. Your prayer and mine has to be that God will raise up faithful preachers and faithful people who will proclaim his word across this land. Pray for this generation of young men that God will call and shape and send. Pray for pastors everywhere. Amen. Pray for lay people, for Christians to be bold. There's only one solution, and that's the truth. The truth by which God saves, by which God sanctifies. And if this nation will respond and listen to his truth, God will open the floodgates of blessings. It'd be the greatest recovery story in history. But only if we, the people of the United States of America, beginning with the Christians, will take a biblical stand. Amen? There is no other way. God says that the people listen to me and walk in my ways. It's not going to happen if there's a famine of hearing the word of God. Pray that the word, as Paul said, would have free course. They would run with all its power across land, with all its beauty and magnificence, all its power and grace. That people would hear and believe, be saved, be obedient, and all of that to the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're all out of time. If you've never asked Jesus to be the Savior of your life, this is the day. Just pray this prayer with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, take over my life. That I, Lord Jesus, that I would be saved. And I thank you for that. Come into my heart. Be king of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's all the time we have. Till next time, this is Pastor Robert Tibber reminding you God loves
0: you. We love you. Greater is he who is in you than he that's in this earth. Be blessed. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher. Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's F-T-F-M for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's FTFM.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office.